0: Welcome to Changing Academic Life. I'm Geraldine Fitzpatrick, and this is a podcast series where academics and others share their stories, provide ideas, and provoke discussions about what we can do individually and collectively to change academic life for the better. I'm really excited to be able to bring this conversation to you today with Dr. Tanita Kasky, who's the head of research policy, and Dr. Elizabeth Adams, who's Workstream Lead for Research Culture, both at the University of Glasgow. And the trigger for this conversation was an LSE London School of Economics blog article they wrote about rewarding contributions to research culture, and I was really keen to find out more about what they were doing in this space. So in this conversation, they talk about their journey in trying to promote a supportive collegial research culture that's aligned around core institutional values that also reflect what matters to the people in the research units. They discuss various initiatives that, that are part of doing this, such as promotion criteria that actually reward collegiality. And formal recognition of everyone's contribution to research, not just the PIs and researchers, but students and technicians and everyone involved. And also looking at how they can better support career researchers. They make a compelling case for the importance of culture for good research and role model what universities can do proactively to enable this better, more constructive, more collaborative research culture. And this isn't just good for the people, but also for better science. Enjoy. Tanita and Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining me. And and you're joining from Glasgow. And I will have set up in the introduction that I really wanted to talk to you because I saw an article in the LSE blog about your amazing initiatives about rewarding collegiality. And then when I go and look up your webpage, you have You just seem to have the dream research strategy and ideas for how to create positive academic cultures. So can you just, I don't know which one of you wants to start, do you just want to introduce yourselves and your role at Glasgow University and then we can go on and discuss what the initiatives are that you've been doing
1: Um, Yes, I'm I'm Tanita. I'm the head of research policy at the University of Glasgow. I am responsible for the implementation of the institutional research strategy across all its remit. uh, And that means things like strategic recruitment um, how we evaluate research quality, how we develop researchers and ultimately how we create an environment in which researchers can succeed. Um, I'm also the institutional co-lead for research culture and the co-lead for the new Lab for Academic Culture at the University of Glasgow.
0: How long have you been there, Tanita, in this
1: role? Uh, Six years in this role. Yeah. Um, But the culture work emerged out of the work we were doing more broadly on research quality and the research Mm. environment. Um, But we did start fairly early on, the culture work, probably about five years ago. So fairly early on in in my role here. Uh, We only started calling it culture later, but maybe we can can get to that. Yep.
2: Thank you. Elizabeth. Okay. So up until very recently, I was the researcher development manager at the university. And so I've been here for 13 years working with research students and with postdocs and also supervisors and PIs and to support them in their professional and career development. And then just in the last couple of weeks, I've taken up a post with the new Lab for Academic Culture.
0: Wow. That's, that sounds exciting. So yeah. t- how, did, how did these initiatives come about? So you said you started looking at things that were culture five years ago, but you weren't calling it culture then. What was the driver motivator? What, what was the problem you were trying to address, I guess?
1: I suppose we didn't start from having to solve a problem, actually. Um, Where we really started was as a result of the the UK Research Excellence Framework, which is the National Assessment for Research. We thought, well, we would like to understand what quality means in each of our disciplines. Okay, We're a big university. We've got 5,000 researchers uh, between... GR students and academic and postdoc. And we thought, well, we haven't got one definition of quality. We couldn't possibly have one definition of quality. So how do we establish what that is in each discipline? And so we undertook a series of external reviews, but they were, you know, they were formative reviews. We wanted to understand with the unit leadership for each discipline what makes a good output or a good publication, what makes good societal impact and what creates a good environment. And although we weren't thinking about culture at the time, um, we used that process to initiate, I suppose, a series of actions that supported quality in each discipline and supporting people to succeed. And at that time, we were thinking very much about how we communicate the universities intent around research. And we were very explicit that the university succeeds when the individual succeeds. There isn't a separate set of values that applies at the university level, at the individual level, and the national assessment framework level. Um, And so Elizabeth and I and many other colleagues focused very much on how we support the individual. And of course, from there, you go from Not just what quality research is, but what's good practice when it comes to research? What is good supervision and support for careers for the individual? Um, How do we support the individual to grow their, their reputation and visibility? And as a result of all that, the university will gain from the success of the individuals within it. So the actions were, were, and we can discuss perhaps how we did that, but they were all geared towards supporting the researcher to do good quality research that that improved their career and their reputation.
0: And you said that you couldn't define qualities uh, generally. Having done this consultation exercise with all of the units, did you see some commonalities across it?
1: Uh, yes, we did. And, and perhaps surprisingly so. Um, you know, our institution has a very broad academic base. You know, we have a medical school, we have a vet school um, and and all the way through to our social sciences and humanities. And I think what we what we what we encouraged our researchers to do is to think about ideas. You know, it's not about other other indicators of what quality is is what what is the state of the art what are you adding to existing thinking or or applications and so what what is being added to, to 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 the state of the art and to reflect and discuss with others and with peers and critical friends that we encourage people to seek out what the value was and who the right audience was for the work that they were trying to do um And and this was one of the um, lessons, I think, that came out from from each of the disciplines. And we we embrace that. Um, You know, we are a signatory to DORA and to the Leiden Manifesto. Um, And what we encourage researchers to do is to reflect or describe in just a few sentences what they've done, you know, who who might benefit. Uh, from the work uh, and who the right audience therefore is for, for, for what they have done and what their contribution has been to the work and, mm-hmm. and this sort of format is something that we um, we have embedded within our own systems so that when describing one's work we don't just jump to equality indicator uh, we go through a process of the individual describing what they've done who might be interested and and what the significance is, and what their contribution was, and that mm-hmm. allows us to reward, and, and I guess to, to create the like the right reflection on the work, but also to acknowledge that there's more than one type of contribution that can be made. Yeah, so,
0: yeah, that sounds so important because often the the metrics that are around research seem to imply that there's a generic set of you know uh, quality criteria that everyone should aspire to. And I really like the emphasis on the fact that the focus is on the individual. And it sounds like part of this process and connecting with others is also about helping them identify what their contribution might be. So, when when you talk about valuing different types of contributions, what might be some examples of the diversity of those contributions that you do value?
1: So, that we mean we mean two things. By that. So we value both the different types of contribution to research with regards to different types of output. So, not just traditional publications, it might be software, it might be data, but it might also be societal impact. Uh, and so that's what we mean about the plurality really mm-hmm. of, of outcomes that we we wish to celebrate uh, but also the different contributions that are made to that to that endeavor uh, and that might mean from different career stages from different disciplines but also from different specialisms and backgrounds so statisticians bioinformaticians technical staff and so to ensure that everyone who's had a role uh, gets a chance to to document and be mm. rewarded for that contribution and it's partly an issue of Integrity. Right. So let's ensure that anyone who's had a significant role uh, gets recognised for that. Um, But it's also to acknowledge the value of teamwork and to encourage more of that. Mm. So, you know, people, I think, naturally gravitate towards working with others, but it's much easier to stimulate that and to encourage that if they're if they are recognised for the contribution that they make. And you yeah. can do better, bigger things uh working together across disciplines and, and and sectors actually um and we want to encourage more of that, but encourage it in a way that um, everyone is recognized for what they've brought mm. to that to that team
0: and that's counter to a lot of the award structures that we have uh you know in you know, the super scientist award or whatever you know your discipline might call it um that seems to suggest by implication that it's this individual who's responsible and then what you're pointing to there is that it never is. It's always a bunch of people and and even acknowledging the technician or, other people, lots of people's roles in it. Elizabeth, did you want to add anything there about, you know, the ways in which those different contributions and teamwork are promoted and helping people recognise them?
2: Yeah, I think quite often um, we see that postdocs are doing a lot of the work around the labs, and they're the people that PhD students might go to with the, the, the sort of the questions they're too scared to ask their supervisors. And and we've tried to really support that and acknowledge that and, and value it um, through our research culture awards, and um, also through asking our postdocs to be um, to help with our research integrity training and to be the points of contact and to be champions for that. And I think that's really. Um, started to change the way that people see postdocs because they, they were very much invisible, and that's probably true in most institutions. They sort of fall between the cracks a bit. So I think trying to you know, really recognise that they're making these
0: active contributions to things like supervision as well. Mm. So can you say more about the Research Culture Awards? So we
2: introduced the Research Culture Awards maybe two years ago. We're on our third iteration now. Um, and actually the awards panel is meeting today, so we are waiting with bated breath to see who the, the top um, four winners will be. And the purpose of the awards is really to showcase and highlight good practice or things that people were doing a little bit differently to try to bring about a positive research culture, to, um, to run mentoring programmes or early career researcher networks, or I think um supporting people to think about open research or just new ways of doing research that's maybe a little bit progressive and and something that other people can learn from and to celebrate. Um, And yeah, we've had a whole range of different career, um, different staff groups, different career stages. And um, we've had team awards, we've had professional services. So it's not just academics, it could be technicians as well. And I think that's really important in sending the message that all these different roles are valued and that it could be a team contribution. And I think people responded well
0: to that. Mm. Have you done any measurements to assess the impact on people and how they feel about their work and their contributions over the years? I think
2: the important thing for me is that the awards aren't just sitting there on their own because I think if they were just out there on their own, it would feel quite tokenistic like that we've won year we celebrate four things that people have done of being nice to each other which and it's not about that at all it's about actually that's one strand of a bigger plan so the fact that we've introduced collegiality into our professorial promotions criteria is really really important in in sending the message that this is important in all ways and the awards is just one way of highlighting good practice but also it's expected that you will be collegiate in your teaching and in your your research and your knowledge exchange and all the different things that you do and that you'll support others um, and that by doing so um, research is going to be better for everyone. That's a really important thing
1: actually you know one of the things we've tried incredibly hard to do is to align all the actions so they're all different things and they're all pointing in the same direction you know we're not the only voice in the institution we're not the only people that academics hear and speak with so so if we want this and we're very serious um about the institutional commitment to this then the onus is on us to have everything converge so that many of the actions that we that we really value are there within the reward and in the system and that they are visible to academics so we talk about um Supporting what we value through our expertise, for example, and our resourcing, uh, rewarding what we value, as Elizabeth has just said, through, for example, our promotions criteria, and then celebrating what we value, and that's and that's where the awards come in. Um, and, and and you know, this is how we explain it to ourselves. Different people within the community experience it in lots of different ways. You know, how we communicate it and how we choose what to do and what not to do um, in, informs the people. Who are, I suppose, implementing many of these things centrally. Um, but it it hasn't helped enormously. It's a long game, obviously. Um, But what we're seeing now is that there are local flavours of what we are developing institutionally happening within the discipline because they know the direction of the institution. They know that the support and expertise and visibility is there and they're now taking the initiatives and developing them locally for their community. And that's exactly what we would want because an institutional level um, initiatives, however, you know, however informed by the different interests and disciplines within our community is really best delivered locally by the local leadership. So we take it as a very positive sign that the local leadership has both um, embraced this to the extent actually that they are developing local initiatives.
2: Mm. I think it's really important that the early career people are supported with this and I run quite a lot of workshops for PhD students or for postdocs where I would invite new lecturers or research fellows to come and talk about their career and I'm seeing more and more often that those people who are coming to present are talking about the vision that they have for their research group and how they want it to be a good environment and maybe something that's a bit different to what they experienced and I think that's a really positive sign that they feel like that's something that they can be supported to do in Glasgow. And I really hope that in five years time, they don't feel sort of cynical and jaded. And and I hope they feel like they have been able to see out that vision. So I think those are the kinds of things that we're seeing that are changing from maybe like 10 years. But I think your point about, you know, how do we evaluate it is a really good one. And we are thinking a lot about that. And we do a research culture survey and that's one way of doing it. Um, But I think it's a lot about, you know, just talking to people on the ground, Um, There was a really good report from the Nuffield Council of Bioethics, and I think that was back in 2015, and and it basically said that, you know, you can have all the policies in the world, but it's what people talk about in the corridors, and I think we are trying to get there, and and even during COVID, where there aren't any corridors, what is it that people are talking about when they get together on Zoom or in Teams, and and how can we sort of influence that? So I think working with our postdoc reps and working with our PGRs and the PhD Society has been really important for that. Mm. I think also initi-
1: initiatives that are coming from the research office. I mean th- this is we try as much as possible to convey uh, the idea that culture as Elizabeth has said is the vehicle to better research. It's not being nice to each other. We, we
0: you know I we hope we are but yep. it's not being nice to each other for the sake of being nice to have a little jolly time. Yeah, it's not
1: on the side. Um it's actually integral. To the process of developing good quality research that stands a test of time, that actually, you know, pushes the boundaries of knowledge, improves society mm. and creates a welcoming environment in which talented staff will be attracted to uh, and can develop within. Mm. And, I, you know, and I, you know, we, we, we think very much about the academic output being publications, societal impact. But I would add to that the people. The people we develop, the skills that we put out into the world, the the next generation of academics that we that we develop, that needs to be a crucial pillar of the academic endeavour. And so we should be asking at every relevant, important opportunity how an academic has supported the careers of those around them. And that might be their immediate team. In the biomedical uh, sphere, it might be in the broader discipline, it might be in the unit more broadly um, and if someone hasn't taken the opportunity to give that back and to create that sense of uh, uh, community and com- camaraderie and you know that peer group that supports each other and what good quality research is, then they're sort of missing an important part of of
0: of of, of essentially what I think should be
1: their a fundamental aspect mm. of their role yeah.
0: Because apart from postdocs, you mentioned before, Elizabeth, about postdocs often being largely invisible. You know, postdocs and PhD students—you can interpret what you see in some institutions as being considered largely dispensable. Like you burn them out to get out your your research, and this emphasis on equal emphasis on developing the people—you know, through—you know, through an enabling culture—is just sounds amazing really amazing so you you seem to have a you keep talking about the values and you seem to have a really clear idea about that you know and you've talked about collaboration and on your in your strategy document it took about collaboration and creativity and careers and um you know and it talks about the things about you know, the contributions of individuals and if individuals succeed the university succeeds etc and I loved hearing that this is bubbling out and people are doing more grassroots initiatives reflecting these. How? What have you done well, do you think, that works to drive out those general principles and values so that people then do feel able to take them and interpret them in their own context?
2: I think um, anyway, when we went round the university, like even before we started talking about research culture, people... Really valued inclusion, and that was something that you know people cared about. So, I think sort of building on the things that we knew people already cared about and wanted to do something about. And so, you know, when you're talking about team contributions and recognizing that people are still seeing that in a, as a way of um, in promoting inclusion. So, I think sort of building on our strengths and bringing things together. I used to go to a lot of meetings, um I, I still go to a lot of meetings, but I would sometimes cycle around all the different like the postdoc careers lunch and then the Athena Swan group, which is about gender equality and, um, and then a research integrity meeting. And I think we're sort of trying to achieve the same thing in each of these meetings, but we're all doing it quite Um, in disjointed ways and sometimes it's in conflict just because of how we're thinking about it and you know perhaps if you're thinking about gender equality and um, sort of creating academic career paths but then I'm going to a careers lunch and saying but there's all these other careers out there it doesn't have to just be about academic careers I think we quite early on decided to try to join up a lot of that work and you know make sure that they were reinforcing and supporting each other rather than not just pushing in different directions or pulling in different directions. So, so I, I just think
1: it's really important to know your community, um, mm. you know, before deciding on, on which priorities to, to implement. I mean, there isn't, you know, a, a, a task list or a checklist rather for research culture. You know, after we had done all the reviews of our units, we actually went out and visited each unit and asked them, you know, what what, what one thing would help to support the, the the careers of others. Or what would make Glasgow the best place in which to support careers, and what's been done already that you think does? And you know we know our community quite well because we engage with it extensively. So you can't skimp on that. You know there's mm-hmm. no shortcuts to listening um, and to and to asking the questions you want the answers to. And so we knew that people valued teamwork, that they valued collegiality that that they valued the community and so in in drafting that strategy we basically reflected back in a more structured manner I suppose what the community had told us and so in that respect they were already I suppose primed maybe to to embrace it and to take it along but things that help certainly in the UK are some sort of some of the sector drivers so we have a number of concordats we have the research excellence framework uh as, as elizabeth said we have the athena swan charter for gender equality um and so it helps us to converge i guess behind our commitments to these concordats and that makes it easy for our local leadership to use those sector concordats as well as the institutional action plans or priorities to inform and, and, and to structure some of the initiatives locally as well. Mm-hmm.
0: And what's been some of the practical jobs of work that you had to do? And, you, know, like you talked about going around and talking to people and listening well. And, Elizabeth, you talked about visiting these different groups and seeing how they sort of wanted the same things but doing them different ways. And you know, what were the practical things that you did to try to bring them together or to get some sort of more common understanding well
2: we designed a new um, supervisor training module last year two years ago and we tried to build in a lot of these principles right from the start in in all parts of supervision talking about recruit you know what do we value in recruiting PhDs and and then how do we support them when they come in and then when they're disseminating their research you know what are all the principles of research culture that we want to build into that Um, but then we piloted it with supervisors and we sort of built it with them Um, But we also built it with PGR. So we had a lot of PGR input to the supervisor training. And then once it was done, we sent it out to all two and a half thousand of our PhD students and just said, would you like to look at our supervisor training? Do you think we should add anything to it? And I think that really did help to just tweak a few areas where students were like, actually, we really want our supervisors to know about this. And there's things that I think our PhD students are talking about, particularly relating to things like sustainability, that maybe some of the older academics just don't realise is so important to our students. And I think it's great to get that sort of bottom-up input to how we're sort of developing things. Mm.
0: It just seems like such a good consultative process. And you've talked about it being slow, though. So what, what have been the biggest challenges I think probably the biggest challenge is that we still know that there will be
2: people out there who aren't having a good experience and who are thinking all these things are great but actually my own experience in the lab is pretty toxic and that's that's obviously disheartening to us um, because we want to change that Um, and it is sometimes reflected in things like our surveys and it's quite hard to sort of find that right balance between trying to fix the problems and trying to you know do the positive enabling things you want to make it easy for people to do the right thing so when we're trying to think about things like like we did um, some guidance on having inclusive events and actually the sticking point for people was things like okay we want to have an inclusive event but we don't know how you would go about hiring a creche to have um, during a conference so for us actually to go and chase that down and find out make sure that this is something that we're allowed to do within the university procurement processes and health and safety and all those things and then just making it easy for people to do the right thing and all of those things take effort so it's just I think the challenge is trying to focus your efforts on the place where you can make the biggest impact
0: Mm.
2: and whether you fix the problems or you know enable and sort of try to put things to a more positive plan that for me is the biggest challenge i think the challenge
1: i mean you, you, geraldine you, you said that i mean it's a long game but it's that's the pace it needs to go at um you need to bring not everyone with you because that that's an unrealistic goal but as many people as you can at the right stage um and i think knowing your institution allows you to set that pace at the right point. So i think one of the challenges is that you need to focus on what you think you can achieve and you need to consolidate what you started and that means that that happens at the exclusion of other things that might also be urgent and important and important to people but actually needs to be done at the right time and sometimes some of the biggest most urgent problems are the ones that cannot be solved in a hurry and everyone needs to trust that we are paving that path towards solving the bigger problem but we're doing it at a pace that we think will enable us to solve it at some point. And it's not because we don't care um, or that we don't know what we're doing or don't know what to do. We just know that we can't jolt people into making changes that have been ingrained over, you know, over decades. Um, so the focus, I think, of our activity and that convergence of actions towards specific outcomes and specific goals Um I think that's an important part of the process. And and the other challenge is, like in in any initiatives, is is communications. You know, everyone has their own internal definition of what culture means. Uh, We've got an institutional definition and action plan. And while we don't expect everyone to understand the definition and and everything that we're doing day to day, um, it, it does help to continually communicate what we've done. Uh, what, what 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 principles we're uh, we applying uh, to deciding what to do and how people can get involved, um, and and that's that's an ongoing challenge. But mm. you know, over, communi- over communication um, is a is a helpful thing. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Are, are there people groups who've been harder to bring along? You talked about you know the way people have done things forever. For some people, are there the older profs the the
1: Ones or... I would say a couple of things there. One is I think anyone out there trying this will be pleasantly surprised at people who embrace it who you might think wouldn't. Um, the second thing is we have an action plan for culture for the institution, but we don't expect different parts of the university to embrace all of them. So there may be some aspects of it that are much more relevant to, for example, our STEM colleagues. And we don't worry so much that the arts and social sciences don't embrace it because it's not as relevant to them mm. just now. Um, but others will be. So I think there would be a, a huge challenge there if we expected every discipline to, to sort of you know progress in unison and that we waited for everyone to be on board with everything and yeah. before we moved to the next stage. So we're comfortable with that, with that lumpiness. Um, yeah, so, so not, not really. I mean, I don't think that we have sort of pushback. Uh, and maybe we preempt that by knowing that certain aspects aren't as relevant to some groups. Yeah, As others. Which
0: connects back to you saying you have to know your university and you know your university by going out and actually talking with them and listening. And it also reflects your value of valuing different contributions and that sort of valuing different disciplinary uh, areas.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you think of something like research integrity and research practice, you know, in the STEM disciplines, um, they understand that there's an issue to be solved. And they, they want to work with us to try and resolve at, 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 root, the root cause of where some of the issues are. In other parts of the university, they've got to understand what's a Western blot. Uh, I don't, I don't really understand why this, but, but, but then working with the local leadership there, we can uh, help the, some of those concepts to be reinterpreted. So if you take arts, for example, as I said, they don't know what a Western law is, but they do know what good practice is. And they know that if you don't allow for costs of um, reproducing images in work, then you'll be in breach of copyright. So that's how you reinterpret good research practice in a completely different context. Mm. Um, and, and we allow for that reimagination, I suppose, of these concepts. So integrity, a very important value. Clearly, we want everyone to do research uh, in, in, the, in the best possible manner so that we don't waste time or public funds um, but what that means on the ground to the individual would depend very much on the local context and where the discipline is and i think it would be very unfair for us to impose standards or, or modes of working on disciplines that depart uh, wildly from expectations within that discipline because you know we, we they, they need to operate within the sector for, the, for that discipline and, and norms will will vary
0: do you rely on local champions within the different disciplines to help drive this, or are you dealing more with the formal leadership level, or both?
2: <laughs> I think everything. Um, we definitely have, um, well, we have sort of formal formal structures in terms of having research integrity advisors locally, so they are someone who um, can be a point of contact for researchers with queries, um, but also inform us on our policies and so they, they champion research integrity. But then we have lots of people who, you know, are just doing really good things and that we learn from and we try to share when they, they come up with good ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, there's lots of people who are doing amazing work in diversity and inclusion or in ECR networks and sort of um, trying to engage early career researchers with the decision makers. And so I think we just try to support them whenever we come across them and, and try and learn from them and share that across the university.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's, it's a mutual sharing. It's a mutual sharing model.
1: I think the, the, we have a, a governance group that basically has membership from the relevant, um, I guess, parts of the university. So our, we have four academic colleges. So we have representatives both from HR and from the research offices. From our faculties, and then also from our central HR uh, functions in um in pay, p- performance, and reward, and um and and organisational development, uh, as well as ourselves, and and that you know when Elizabeth was uh, was talking earlier about the different threads that need to come together, you know whether it's about you know the equalities or about the performance and you know recognition and reward, or the research and development that's where we we try and and sort of you know braid all of those different threads so that they don't go back out into the community as separate things uh, so there is a, a more formal governance structure and that little group uh reports into our university research committee. So there are formal governance structures around what we're doing, which also gives it visibility and credibility. But when it comes to implementing um on the ground, then as Elizabeth said, we just you know we, we use a, a combination of our existing leadership, but also the leadership that emerges as a result of people mm. wanting to associate with the agenda.
0: Yeah. You you talked a lot about training up, uh, you talk about supervisor training and a new program there and working a lot with ECRs and PhD students. What about with the leadership level, I don't know, the middle management, the heads of departments or heads of groups? Are there any initiatives going there? Because they would seem to be key people in helping to grow culture and create culture.
2: Yeah, and I think the the... Don't have a lot of time. So we've tried to do some things that are quite short, but quite meaningful for them. So last summer, for example, we did a really short video from our vice principal of research saying that um, our our early career researchers were obviously in a really vulnerable position during COVID. They didn't know whether Mm. they'd get back in the lab. They didn't know what their future career prospects would be like. And so now would be a really good time to have some supportive career development conversations. And so we set out this really clear expectation from the vice principal that this is something that we want to make sure happens across the university. And we followed up with some resources on how to have a sort of useful career conversation, a sort of coaching style conversation, but also signposting to the fact that we're not expecting PIs and research leaders to be the, the careers advisors because we have careers advisors so you know it's not that we're giving them an extra job to do but that we, we want them to set that culture and signpost to and encourage people to take them up and then we um yeah so we sent that out to the PIs to the research leaders and um, but also to the postdocs and said you know this is something that you can expect or to ask for if you don't get one and then later on in the summer we did a short survey just to find out if those conversations had been happening and then we reported back whether or not they were happening to the heads of school research institute directors so that they would know and get a sense of you know what is it happening locally and I think that's kind of helped to enthuse people because I think when they have a little bit of data that they can work with then they can then go back and have those conversations at school level or at their research committees and say you know this is something we want to focus on and Maybe they've promoted some specific mentoring schemes, like welcome have a mentoring scheme to connect researchers with industry mentors, and that's been really pushed in some of our institutes as a result of these kinds of conversations. Mm-hmm. I think aside from you know this really
1: valuable work in support in giving PIs the tools to support others, we mustn't forget the hard cash. So and 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 different people respond to different things, and most people, you know, many people respond to cash. So just to give you an example of that, we have received a large research uplift from the Scottish Funding Council um, to support researchers and careers uh, over over the time, over COVID. Um, and actually, as an institution, we have invested. You know, almost 100% of that in, in careers. And so basically what that means is that our postdoctoral staff, many of whom were furloughed, uh, over the course of the, of the lockdown, uh, now get some of that time back. And so from a PI's perspective, rather than just relying on the government top up, we topped it up to 100%. Everyone was 100% full pay and they got that time back. And, you know, that shows an institu- signals an institutional commitment not just to the words and changing behaviours, but also we're actually, you know, we're actually choosing to spend uh, the windfall that we've had to support the values that we've been talking about and trying to support.
0: Yeah, and it goes back to your supporting, rewarding and celebrating pillars there. Mm -hmm. Um, Are there any things you've tried that haven't worked? I think
2: most things work for some people somewhere like you know nothing for everybody so I guess we've always sort of learned and iterated from them I can't I can't think of anything that I'm like that was an unmitigated
0: disaster <laughs> or something that you wouldn't try again if you had your time again if you had the sort of
2: yeah and even you know, when, I, when I started and I would run workshops and only two people would show up and then I would talk to other universities and they'd be like, yeah, only two people showed up the first time we did this. But then they went and told their friends and the next time more people showed up and more people. And I think there's people now who were PhD students in my first week in the job and they're now um, lecturers and supervisors and, and they're starting to tell their PhD students. Actually, there are some quite good courses. So so I just look at it as a long term game and and they're yeah. valuable anyway. But also, um, we, everything
1: we do, we, we continually evaluate. So nothing is born perfect. Um, and even, you know, the culture awards that we've got the panel for today, you know, we, we, you, know, we, we, you realise from the first iteration you go oh we need a little bit more guidance on that or we need um and then you do that and then you try mm. that out and so we're mm. we're forever <laughs> we're forever trying to sort of you know improve what we do based on the experience either that we have of implementing it or our community
0: has of, of experiencing it so a lovely learning growth mindset to the whole process uh it try reflect iterate so we probably only have another five minutes, Max, if we have that, because I know you have to go. Uh, there are so many aspects that I'd love to talk to you about, uh, like you mentioned, different labs and things that we're starting up. And uh, But in the time that's left, what are the things that you think we haven't talked about yet that would be worth mentioning or sharing that other people could learn from, that they could take back to their universities or whatever?
2: I think I think the communication probably is the biggest one for me, and it's the thing that we've tried the hardest to improve during the pandemic because people just weren't picking up the things that they might normally think possibly pick up in the corridors. And so, being being able to have a point of contact for people um, to ask the random questions of, or feel like someone in the university actually cares about them getting support with their career, um, having newsletters, but very much the point of contact. And we started doing. Q&As with the Vice Principal of Research during COVID. And those were really well received, not just in terms of people turning up and asking questions or asking questions in advance, but watching the recordings. And I think we've learned a lot from that about people do still want to see the recordings of events. They do want to know, even if if there's no news, they still want to know that they've not missed anything and they're not Mm -hmm. anxiously thinking there could be stuff going on here that I haven't really picked up on. And yeah, everything that we do around comms, I think really helps nudge things forward a little bit. And it's just got to be different types of communications to different groups. And remembering that just because you've said it once doesn't mean that everyone knows it. And there'll still be people who have never read your emails, even though they've received 2,000 of them. And then um, <laughs> eventually you'll get to them. Mm, yeah.
0: Yeah. I think
2: for, for me, any I mean,
1: anyone can contribute to improving research culture. But I think wherever you are and whatever sphere of, of 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 influence you have, it really pays to to define what it is that you're trying to do, both to yourself and to others. And culture spans such a large number of 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 activities um, that that you really risk miscommunication by not focusing. And you 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 also risk In a positive, well, in a negative sense, but, you know, if people start getting involved and interested, then chances are they will give you well-meaning opinions and advice. And if you aren't absolutely certain about what the sphere is that you're working in, then you risk diluting your activities Mm -hmm. and the message and you risk then losing the opportunity for others to seed activities around you. So that focus and that definition, however However difficult it is uh, both to do and to, I guess, tolerate because you're excluding lots of things that you really want to tackle. I think that's a vital first step on a a culture programme. Just what is it of all the things you could be doing? What is the very small number of things that you're going to align all of your communications, investment and activities to?
2: I think the right. other thing that has really helped us as well is that we have mandatory research integrity training. And we thought long and hard about that because we don't really like mandatory courses. Nobody likes a sort of mandatory tick box. It makes people cynical and, and they Google the answers and try and get through it as quickly as possible. But we thought it was really important that everyone did research integrity training from PhD students all the way to senior PIs. And so we've developed a model for that. We have an online course, we also have face to face workshops. Um, but the online course, it's not a tick box, it's not a multiple choice question. There is a human who reads all the reflections that come out of that online course. And though it's more work for people, I think the response to it has been hugely positive. People really value that we're asking them for their feedback and their reflections on what this means for their discipline and their school mm. and their research theme And we have learned so much from the responses that we get, and we can feed that into the supervisor training or when we run workshops on field work support, we can pull out some things that have come out of the research integrity training so it all sort of like feeds back in and it helps to improve things sort of that little bit further and people's time on it has has really actually contributed to something else rather than just being a tick box.
0: That's so good. That's so good because tick boxes are, you know, terrible for disincentivising people. So in, in uh, just in finishing up in, and in the spirit of celebrating, what are you proudest of? in what you've achieved so far
2: (laughs) I I think for me um, some of the support that we've in place for researchers over the past couple of years to support them with field work um, because we hadn't really realized that they weren't getting maybe the support that they needed in some areas they absolutely were because they were part of research groups who had a lot of experience and really thought about these things but I think as research evolves, the types of research people do changes, and um, we've had to really think about how do we support people. So I'm quite proud of some of the changes that we've made there. Mm, great. I think
1: being able to um, include collegiality in the promotions criteria. Yeah. I mean, this is not an easy thing to do, um, and and we we were consulted obviously on on that quite a lot, but. Introducing collegiality into the promotions criteria was was one of the things that that we did actually in that um, review of promotions. The other was to put outputs on a par with impact, again in order to value different contributions. So, and I think it it creates a focal point for all of the things that we're trying to do. And the intention was somebody would look at the promotions criteria and go, how do I do that? And then we go, ha, we've got all of this stuff that we've been doing. So it did provide an entry point, really, to, to all, of the, all of the things that we've been doing. And I think the pleasing thing about it, really, is that the Glasgow community in, embraced that value um, and, and that we are in a community that values
0: collegiality. Yeah. So that's just so important, so important for us all um, doing good science and being healthy and well in the environment in which we do it. Well, thank you for sharing your experiences and the amazing initiatives you have there at Glasgow and look forward to hearing how they develop in an ongoing way and may many other places uh, see you as a role model. Thank you. you. Yeah, thank you. So just a short postscript from me. I don't know about you, but there was so much to like about this conversation. I loved the way they started off listening and really connecting to what was important to people and building strategy based on that. And I particularly love the appreciation and the valuing of collegiality as just so important to to producing good science as well as looking after the people that, that are working in science. And in a chat that we had after we finished officially recording, we also just mentioned how this recognition of collegiality may be also helpful for women who often end up being the ones who perform many of these more uh, collegial service roles, you know, caring for people roles. And it's also really important, I think, in the way that they've recognised the technicians in the work who are often not well um, acknowledged as being key contributors. And I it makes me think about a lot of the literature around meaning in work, and I, I wonder whether the technicians in being recognised in this way and seeing the impact of their contributions find more meaning in their work because of it. It was also interesting just to hear about it being a longer-term deal and That change is slow and needs to be focused. And I'd love to see how we could scale this up to more universities and more approaches to establishing research cultures. So I'd encourage you to think about who you can share this podcast with. Who would find it useful or inspiring? Maybe your research unit at your university. And for all of us at all levels, what can we do within the scope of our own influence to support, reward, and celebrate good practice, great research cultures? We can create different sorts of research cultures that are better and produce better science. You can find the summary notes and related links for this podcast on www.changingacademiclife.com. You can also subscribe to Changing Academic Life on iTunes and now also on Stitcher. And you can follow Change Acad Life on Twitter. And if something connected with you, please consider sharing this podcast with your colleagues so that we can widen the conversation about how we can do academia differently.